0: Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. By the time we get to Luke chapter 21, uh, we find that Jesus is in the uh, last days of his earthly life. If you study it, he's really the last 36, 48 hours on the earth right here. There's going to be a lot of aggressive things that starts to happen in these next hours of uh where he will be betrayed, he will be led down the Via Della Rosa, he will die a criminal's death on the cross. We're right here at the end of Jesus's earthly life. And he's made his way to Jerusalem. We've been reading over the last chapters where his face was set toward Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, throughout the pages of scripture, is a very sacred city. If you go back and study, it's where God would meet with people, even all the way back to Abraham, much of the uh, Abrahamic covenant and others that we read about. Man, it was all in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is probably the most famous city in the world over the years, biblically, from 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 a scriptural standpoint. It's amazing. And Jesus is at the temple. And the temple is of that day, it was the center of Jewish life. It's where people would gather, if you will. Barb and I were in Jerusalem years ago, and some five, six years ago, and as we were making our way through the tunnel, and as we would come into Jerusalem, it was like I've always desired to see the city. It looks much different today than it would have had, uh, would have some 2,000 years ago, uh, but It is a very biblically uh, focused uh, city and place, meaning the temple. The temple, if you study it in that day, it was very uh, immaculate. Many believe that it was the most breathtaking place on the planet. It was this immaculate place that set up on top of a hill, and it was clothed with these radiant white stones. Many uh, rabbis and others would say it looked like uh, snow-capped peaks at a distance. Oh, look at the temple. It was covered, and it was laced with gold. It was a very ornate place. And ancient rabbis and others would say, you've never seen anything until you've seen The temple, hold that as a backdrop. Now let me make a couple of observations even as I start to dive into this. Man loves to showcase the external. God cares about the internal. Man elevates outward appearance. God focuses on the heart. You're going to see this unfold as we start to dive in to this text. Starting in verse 1, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people drop their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and she dropped in two small coins. Jesus makes this statement, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them. They have given a part of their surplus but she has given everything she has. Here is a fundamental premise, principle statement that God applauds those who live and give generously. The greatest apologetic declaration of our faith that we have to this world in which we live it's to live lives of generosity. Is to live lives when it comes to our time, our talents, and our treasures, to leverage those for the glory of God. This poor widow here, she gave all that she had, and the rich people gave what they would never miss. They gave what they would never miss. And I can tell you, when you study the pages of Scripture, God values the heart of the giver more than he does the amount of the gift. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. It is the posture of the heart when we come before God that God will always focus on. Now, picking it up in verse five, his disciples began talking to Jesus about the majestic stonework of the temple, the ornate decorations that were on the wall And Jesus said, these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be one stone left on another. Here's what we've got to understand. Jesus is uh, making a prophetic statement, something that will happen about 40 years later. But here's what you've got to understand. God's church is not a building. God's church is a people. People. Jesus is establishing this even with his disciples here. Those that profess and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord belong to the church. Remember Peter's declaration, right? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The word church there in the Greek is the word ekklesia. But what does it mean to say that we're a part of the church? It means that my profession and confession and possession of my soul is all anchored in Christ and him alone. The church is not a building. The church is not a building. Under the Old Testament system, they worshiped in places. The new covenant system is not about a place. It's about a person. And that is what Jesus is driving home with these disciples. God does not dwell in buildings made with human hands, precious stones, all this gold, bricks and sticks. That's not where I dwell. Those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. They must worship a person and not a place. You'll hear people say, Well, it's time to get up and we're going to church. We're going to a building, we're not going to church. I can't go to what I am, wherever I am, the church is always there. That's the reason we have to take to heart what Jesus is saying, hey, focus on me. And then Jesus makes this prophetic statement. The day's coming when this building and this temple right here will be destroyed. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Go back and study church history. It was in rumble. I'm telling you, not one stone was left on another, but what Jesus came to build, the church will never be destroyed. And that's the emphasis he's making out of the gate. What's the church? The church is individuals. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit where God desires to dwell. That's the reason we have to be so careful when we look at even our own lives. What do I put in my body? What do I put on my body? What do I put around my body? Why does that matter? Because I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where God dwells now, and God wants to dwell inside of you. He wants to fill you. He wants to control you, but we have to make sure, hey, let me let me get the place where God lives i want to be clean i want to be sanctified i want to be pure let me say it again the new covenant is a person-centered worship the old covenant was a place-centered worship so when you start to study scripture understand that the disciples then looked at him and said so uh The temple is going to be destroyed and all this stuff is going to happen. Uh, When will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things uh, that are going to take place? Listen to where Jesus goes in his conversation. Verses 8 through 11, he basically says, Joseph, do not be misled and do not panic. Don't be misled and don't panic. There's going to be many false teachers that come on the scene. Eusebius, who was a 4th century historian... When he wrote, I'm talking some 300 years after Christ, he wrote and said that there was 20 years after the resurrection of Christ, already many that claimed to be Messiah. False prophets are nothing new. False teachers are nothing new. They've been around forever. But what Jesus is emphasizing to the disciples, which we must embrace, is do not believe the counterfeit, Do not believe the lie. Do not believe the corruption. I'm telling you, there's false teachers around us right now people that have TV time, people that have all this airtime, whether it's YouTube, podcast, all this stuff. You can listen to stuff and go, oh man, that sounds so good, but is it true? False teachers. False prophets. Let me give you a few manifestations of it. Because some of us, Teresa, had that charismatic Pentecostal, like slain in the spirit, crazy experience where so much emphasis was placed on the emotional and the hype and the sensational. And they applauded how high you could jump, but not how straight you could walk. Be careful. That's the culture in which we find ourselves living. There are certain circles out there, man, that people jump high with emotion, but they stagger like a drunk when it comes to walking day after day. One of the things that you will see with false teachers and false prophets is they will contradict the scripture. They will distort the gospel. They will share just enough truth to lure you in. But there's so much that we see in misleading and misguiding there is a contradiction of Scripture that we see with some of these guys. That will come. That's the reason we will say here over and over and over, we do not a la Scripture, meaning we don't just cut out what verse we want. We don't cut and paste what we like. We take the counsel of God at large. We want to know what does God say, what does God mean by what he says. But there's so many that I will listen to. That I've listened to over the years, and I'm like, man, you're a contradiction of Scripture. You're misusing, you're misrepresenting, and you're you're guiding people down paths that are not healthy. You're, you're going to take them down. Another thing is they will add to or remove Scripture. Not only do they contradict it, they will add to and remove, and it's a power move with many of them. They want power. They want control. They want. They're using manipulation and intimidation as a form. To for money, whatever it is. Look at Joseph Smith when he starts the movement of Mormonism. Dude, you're adding to, you're removing truth. You're dissecting even the deity of Christ. Look at Charles Taze Russell that started the whole Jehovah Witness movement. You're adding to, you're taking from, you're de-emphasizing the deity Christ that he is. And we've seen this over the years. And then they claim to have special knowledge. Another manifestation that I see with false teaching is, uh, let me tell you what God told me. Can I tell you that anytime time a person comes with this special, relevatory understanding and knowledge from God, and they've got the insight that nobody else does, that is such a red flag that I look at them and go, have you lost your mind? Have you lost your mind? And that's where people gravitate toward. Why do they do it? I can tell you why. Why do people sit there and empower these voices? Why do they listen to them? And and I'll tell you why. Because your emotions are a terrible resource of what truth is. They will play on your emotions. They will play on your hype. And even Paul would say to Timothy, realize this in the last days, Many wanting to have their ears tickled. Just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what's going to accommodate the life I want to live. And they stray away, John Mark, because they're not anchored in truth. We live in a culture where the Greek mindset of oratory giftedness became what was applauded. Man, this guy can wax eloquently. Listen to the way, man. He's such a wordsmith and gifted. But is he speaking truth? These alternative worldviews, Jesus plus something else, Jesus and. I remember even about five, six years ago, people came to me and said, oh, man, there's a new book out now called The Book of Enoch. Have you read it? And so many were starting to just drift down that road. And I'm like, is it one of the 66 that was canonized in Scripture? And people have always come out with new things, false prophets, false teachers, anything that will lead you away from Christ, time out. One of the verses I memorized that I've shared this with you early on in my Christian journey was 2 Corinthians 11:3, and driving the stake in the ground some 37 years ago and saying, this is where I will land. Paul writes to the believers in Corinth. They, they, believe me, that was a chaotic church. And they were coming with all this kind of crazy teaching. And he says, some of them, look at them, they're out there peddling the gospel, which means peddling in that day is if you were selling wine, peddlers would take a little bit of wine with water, mix it together and say, man, this is truth. It's not true. They're peddling it. They're mixing 2 Corinthians 11.3, I'm afraid. This is the first. Know this verse. Live this verse. Allow it to occupy you. I'm afraid that just as the serpent tempted Eve with all of his craftiness, I'm afraid that your mind would be led astray from simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Anything that violates the purity of who Jesus Christ is and devotion to Christ. I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. People will oftentimes come and claim they've got insight and revelation. Man, you're not going to believe what God has shown me. And people will follow people like David Koresh and Jim Jones and others down a dark road toward destruction. You know what it is? A theological term? The word is heresy. Heresy is destructive, false teaching that divides the church. And you've got to know what truth is. You've got to anchor in truth. You've got to be so familiar with truth. that when these imposters and posers and false teachers come on the scene, you go, hold on. Dustin, man, we've seen it over the years, and we've seen so many people tank and take these dark roads. And Jesus is saying, please listen to me. In the end times, man, when you get closer and closer to the end, you're gonna see an acceleration here. Do not be deceived. Do not get caught off guard. Know what the truth is. Then Jesus says, you're gonna start to see things happen like national disasters and natural disasters. You're gonna see earthquakes just heighten. Again, pick up the, pick up the news yesterday. Over a thousand plus are dead because of an earthquake, wherever. And you look at it going, man, the, the rapid pace of what we're seeing and the acceleration of earthquakes and famines and all this stuff, and Jesus says, listen to me, when you see this, it's just gonna get worse. These are mere birth pains before I come back. It's gonna get worse. And let me tell you, he's talking to the disciples and us and he goes, it's gonna get worse for you because you're a follower of me. The pressure is, it's gonna become heavier for you because you're really, a follower of me and people that you love, even family and friends are gonna betray you and they're gonna turn on you and they're gonna stab you in the back and they're, 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 they're gonna let you down and I promise you, you will get hurt. This will happen, but stand firm in truth. Is that happening in families now? Yes, yes. One of the promises Jesus gives us is you will be persecuted, you will be attacked. John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Right now, globally, there's millions upon millions that we know of, of evangelicals and Christians that are suffering greatly because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Read the publication, Voice of the Martyrs. Dustin is in contact with people in India, with missionaries in the 1040, Iran, different places. He will tell you story after story. July 2023, a couple of months ago, nearly 60 Iranian Christians were arrested across the country. Agents of the Islamic Revolutionary Court arrived with search warrants, arrested them because of their faith in Jesus. Family members have not heard from these 60 since then. July 10th in Cameroon, militants from an Islamic group snuck into the home of a 75-year-old Christian man, slit his throat, and killed him while he slept. This brother was a very active, faithful member in birthing the local church in his area. His wife, when she discovered what had happened, she runs out weeping and screaming. This is happening every day globally in our world. And can I tell you something? Our society here, even in the U.S., they have turned up the heat over these last years at an accelerated rate. Why? Because they're trying to eliminate the Christian voice. Our culture today and the brutality of those in certain leadership positions, they're trying to eliminate the Christian voice. We go back to those early months, even of 2020 and 2021, with no scientific evidence whatsoever or reason, they come in and mandate that churches must be closed down. And at the same time, casinos and strip clubs being left open. Why? Why would that happen? Because, as a culture in this postmodern world in which we find, find ourselves living, there is a major push toward the elimination of truth to silence the Christian voice. Under the Obama administration, Christian non for profits were targeted. The Department of Health and Human Services prosecuted the Christian charity Little Sisters of the Poor. Why? They were these nuns, faith-based organization. Why did you prosecute them and pursue them the way you did? Because they refused to pay for contraceptives. And it took these little sisters of the poor, this ministry, this charity, almost a decade, finally making their way to the Supreme Court before the case was dismissed. Jack Phillips got national attention. He's the guy that owned the bakery. And for over a decade, he was being harassed and discriminated and attacked because he would not make profane cakes for a gay couple out in the Northwest. He was dragged through the court system. Why? Because of his faith in Jesus. Coach Joe Kennedy, he was in the headlines again yesterday, but some nine or 10 years ago, they came in him. He was a high school coach. And all he was doing is after the game, he would get At the 50-yard line, not with his team, just by himself, as a former Marine who loved this country and a person who is committed to Christ, after the game, he would take a knee at the 50 and spend some time just thanking God. He was harassed. He was uh, humiliated. He was discriminated against. You don't think that the heat is going to continue to be turned up against us in days to come? Why are they doing that? Because they're trying to silence and eliminate the Christian voice. Prayer kicked out of school. Bibles, Gideons, we don't get to hand those out anymore. And there has been an ongoing slow fade that is now accelerated with we will do everything we can to eliminate the Christian voice and Christian influence in our country, in this world. And Jesus says, stop, guys. When you see this stuff, accelerate. When you see, even as Paul would write to Timothy, in the last days, men are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. They will hold to a form of godliness. Stop, stop. When you see this happen, stay strong. Anchor deep in the Lord. Make sure that your allegiance is to Christ and him alone. When you go through this, realize That God will not leave you. God will not forsake you. And when you go through it, don't even worry about what you're going to say. Don't rehearse it. The Holy Spirit will give you the words you need in that moment. Anchor deep. You've got to be ready. And today I would tell you, if the church ever, ever had to be ready for perilous times, it's right now. Verses 12 through 16, that's what Jesus said. There will be a time of great persecution. You're going to be dragged into synagogues. You're going to be dragged into prisons. You're going to stand, Terry, before kings, before governors. Why? Because you are my followers. But when you go through this, this is what he said, Teresa. This will be an opportunity for you to tell them about me. When you go through the ringer, it is an absolute platform for you to declare where your allegiance and your affection is. You go, that's crazy. That's not. God has given us set up opportunities to say, you know what? That rejection and persecution and discrimination, that slander and that attack, you know what that is right there? That is a platform for you to tell them where your hope is found. Don't try to dismiss it. We live in a culture where people try to run from adversity. Adversity is the fertilizer that God uses to bring about deeper maturation in our faith. Look at it, adversity, suffering, pain. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to lean into it. Jesus is saying, guys, in these last days, be strong, be courageous, do not fear, for the Lord, your God, is with you. I'll spin it this way. Some of us in this room, we're suffering right now from different illnesses and different sicknesses. We've gone through the ringer at times, Richard. Man, just with health issues. And, and I believe with all my heart that God is saying, hey, hey don't waste that opportunity. When you're meeting with doctors and when you're meeting with nurses and when you're in these places where there's other patients, that is a platform for you to share where your faith and hope is anchored. Those people are hurting, those people are searching, those people don't have all the answers. That is a platform for you to talk about me. John Piper wrote a book some years ago, about 10 years ago, and the title of the book was called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Don't Waste Your Cancer. And Piper makes some of these observations in his book. He goes, you will waste your cancer. Take the word cancer out. Our family, two of mine and Barb, cystic fibrosis. Plug that one in. Some of you in this room, it's diabetes. Some of you in this room, whatever it is, all right? You're battling something. The universal language is suffering. All of us have pain. Our bodies are in deterioration from the time we're born. So, The word is cancer here, Austin, but it's like whatever, whatever the suffering, whatever the illness, whatever the infliction is that you're dealing with, he says, you will waste your cancer, suffering, whatever, if you think that beating cancer means staying alive rather than cherishing Christ above all. You will waste it if you think the whole purpose is to try to beat it instead of cherishing Christ. Why would he say that? I'll get to it. You will waste your cancer, your CF, your diabetes if you spend more time reading about blank, whatever it is, and not enough time reading about God. If you fail to use this as an opportunity to testify to the truth, you're going to waste it. You've heard me say it. I met with my a, a buddy Thomas the other day, and I said, but here's the fundamental problem with most, most people that even claim the name of Christ. We spend all of our time telling God how big our problems are instead of telling our problems how big our God is. And our focus determines our freedom. And whatever we fixate our minds on starts to drive the narrative of what we live. Piper said, you will waste your sickness, your cancer, your CF, your diabetes if you let it drive you into solitude instead of deepening your relationships with loving affection you will waste your porn addiction. You will waste your alcoholism. You will waste your money hungry pursuit. If you go, I've been free. You will waste it if you stay fixated on that and never leverage it for the glory of God. Richard, you go through that. Amber has this like, man, she's in a coma. Is she gonna make it? This is an opportunity to press in. Is it hard? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. Do I know what the outcome's going to be? No. But I'm pressing into the Lord. And I've seen people go through trials and tragedies and suffering and pain, and you look and go, they're pressing into the Lord. Who did it better than Julian? Our brother Julian, when he was going through the pain, the suffering, whatever, that guy kept pressing into the Lord. Robin, you had to press into the Lord. And I've seen so many go through it. Can I encourage you? You got some pain? You got some suffering? Don't defend yourself. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't throw a stinking pity party and invite all your codependent friends to show up for it. That's what we oftentimes do. I just uh, this has been the worst day, the worst week, the worst year. Save it. Your perspective is fixated on something other than the Lord. little Emmett who lives next door to us, he's six years old. He came home the other day and he had his little notebook in the school. He's going to, they're memorizing scripture. And he, I, I, I was, I was hanging out with him. He goes, Papa T, Papa T. I go, what do you got? He goes, I'm memorizing scripture. I said, what are you memorizing? He goes, I'm memorizing John 3, 16. And I was like, come on Emmett. I love that one. That way go ahead and memorize it. I said, what else? He goes, Isaiah 26, three. I go, you've got to be kidding me, Emmett. Isaiah 26.3, that's one of Papa T's favorite verses. He goes, really? And I said, you know what it says? God makes a promise with Isaiah and says, I will keep you in perfect peace if you will keep your mind fixed on me. I said, man, I love that verse because your focus will determine your freedom. Your focus will determine your perspective. If you look around you, and you start to empower what's going on around you. Len it's hard. It's been a hard few days. We go through pain and we go through suffering not only physically with, but with people that we love. And people that we love make choices that have consequences. Oh, God, it's been hard. But instead of focusing on what's going on around me, the psalmist said, I, I lift up my eyes to the hills, Lord, that's where you're at. Ray, that's what we have to stay focused on. Your focus will determine your freedom. I have to anchor deep in Jesus, and I have to anchor deep in truth. All this stuff's going to happen that Jesus talks about at the very end. And, and he basically says, you can't miss it. And don't worry about what the signs really are going to be. Instead of focusing on one of the signs, why don't you focus on your relationship with me so that when it does happen, it doesn't catch you off guard. When it does happen, you're able to ride the storm out. When it does happen, you don't feel like you're lost in a boat on water in the middle of the storm looking around going, all I see is storm and all I see is water. How can I escape? Don't worry about that. If you've anchored deep in me, I'm going to pull you through it. I'm I'm going to take you, take you to the other side. Richard, we have to anchor deep every day. I'm telling you, I'll say it again and again and again and again. If you took the word of God out of my life, if you took daily reading, daily study, daily meditation out of my life for these last 37 years and go, we're just going to yank that thread out of your garment. My garment falls apart. I'm going to take baseball out of your life. No problem. Garment stays intact because it's sawn together through the word of God, the truth of God, knowing God. Take away your job. Stays together. I'm going to take away your health. Stays together. Because you've anchored deep in thus saith the Lord. That's what Jesus said, 25 through 28. Man, there's going to be strange signs. Sun, moon, stars, nations, turmoil, seas are roaring, strange tides. Is that gonna happen? It's gonna happen because Jesus said it was gonna happen. What is it gonna look like? I, I don't know. I might be here to see it. And then he says, people will be terrified at what they see coming. People will be terrified. He goes on to say, when all these things begin to happen, Stand firm and look up. Fix your eyes on the author of life. People will be terrified. Do we see people living in fear today? Yes. Do we see people terrified today? Yes. Do we see people that get their divine inspiration from some newscast on TV? Yes. And they're confused. They're being lied to. They're being misled. They're being misguided. If you don't write down anything else I'll say today, write this down. Your focus determines your freedom. And you've got to ask yourself, what am I focusing on? I think some of us become enamored with our own problems and the difficulties around us. We just get enamored with it. And it allows us to go into the drama victim role. You just don't know how bad my day's been. You just don't know how good my God is. And day after day after day, John Mark, you'll hear people say that. Well, you just don't know how bad my day's been. You're fixated here. There's a payoff you get from it. It allows you to stay victim. It allows you to play drama card and we go, Hold on, Lord. <laughs> Hold on. What, what is my mind fixed on today? Isaiah 26.3. Let me fix it on you. You know what I know about fear? At whatever level it is, fear prevents you from engaging with the Lord. You can't engage with the Lord and empower fear at the same time. F- fear is a faith Killer, a hope killer, a belief killer. Fear is a liar. It is. Fear will always point you to some lie. That's why, even when Paul says, Hey, listen to me, learn to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're destroying every speculation and lofty idea that is raised up against the knowledge of Christ. When you confess and deal with fear and the lies, guess what? It allows you to start to move into a place where you can engage with the Lord and then the joy of the Lord can become central in your life. Let me wrap it up. We'll close you with this. Jesus basically says, stop whatever's going on, as tough as it's been, your focus is going to determine your freedom. Where's your mind fixated? And then he's basically saying in closing, just understand heaven's worth it. Heaven is worth it. Verses 34 and 36, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness. When you see all this stuff start to go down, when you see the erosion of culture, don't allow yourself to drift down the trail of hedonistic pleasure and just living a life of carousing. Don't allow yourself to get to a place where you go over and you sedate and medicate with alcohol or whatever. Don't allow your hearts to become dulled. All those things right there, the worries of life, don't try to medicate it in a wrong way. Don't be unaware. Keep alert. Pray at all times so that you will be strong and you'll be able to escape the horrors that many will be living in. Be ready. Are you ready? I mean, that's the question, right? Am I ready to stand face to face with the Lord? Am I ready to meet him? Am I ready to really face him? Man, I I love music. I love sports. I was reading it the other day. I listened to Jimmy for years. A pirate looks at 40. Come Monday, it'll be all right. Changes in Latitudes and Attitudes, Cheeseburger in Paradise, Margaritaville. I know all those songs. Hey, dude, did you hear that Buffett died? Did you hear that Buffett died? And I was like, no, but did he ever live? Man, I, I, I really appreciated his music, but did he ever live? I don't know. He entertained millions. But did he ever encounter the one? I sat there the other day. Even after going for a walk, I'm like, you know what? I'm listening to my Buffett playlist today. And I did. Pirate Looks at 40 is one of my all-time favorite Buffett songs. But as I was walking and listening, I was like, I wonder... If anybody ever pointed him toward the one, I wonder if he ever embraced the one. Because you can entertain the masses and be lost. And I was like, man, he's in eternity right now. Was he ready? And that's what we deal with, Amber, when we look at lives of people that we love, going, were they ready? And Jesus is saying, get ready. You can't escape it. Be prepared, Greg, anchor deep and the gospel, anchor deep in Christ, anchor deep in hope. Come on, stay with it, stand firm, go live it out.